mentioned last week, we're now going to put our preaching through the Gospel of John on a little bit of a hold while we switch for a few weeks to a more Christmas-themed series that I've entitled, not very creatively, A Peace on Earth, uh, taking that, of course, from the herald angels and their message as they have came, came down to earth from heaven. Peace is one of the central themes of the coming of Christ. These angels, when they came to earth, heralded peace on earth, and Jesus came down to the earth as the Prince of Peace, or if we want to put it in Hebrew because the word is in the air, in the culture, Jesus comes in as the Prince of Shalom. Now, peace, not only in the New Testament is it a central and important idea, but shalom, it's equivalent, if not more expansive than uh, what we typically think of peace being. Shalom is a pervasive theme in the Old Testament as well, and it's very much connected to the expectations and the prophecies that are connected with, that are speaking of the Messianic age and the coming of the Messiah into the world. This Prince of Peace will lead his people in peace. And so I guess what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks as we lead up to Christmas is something of a theology of peace. What does the scriptures have to say about this? And we begin today with the God of peace. Now, typically speaking, I'll have you turn in your Bibles to the passage that we are considering. However, today, because of the nature of our topic, it's actually going to be easier for you to have your bulletins handy because I'm going to be referring to what are obviously, if you're looking at your bulletins, several different texts that are noted there in the New Testament readings on pages 6 and 7 of your bulletins. Uh, these verses that are here for us today, you may recognize them. They are a collection of verses which are particularly uh, benedictions. Uh, they are blessings, and they are oftentimes found at the end of a letter. They're a way to conclude things with a, a desire for God's peace. In fact, if you uh, in fact, looked at those verses that are on the front of your bulletin this morning. Uh, they, they both had the opening word of finally to them. And as the writer is bringing his letter to a close or his thoughts to a close, when you get to a finally, when you, when you get to the end of what you've been saying, you often summarize that and bring that all together by speaking of peace, or of more specifically, uh, as we're looking at it today, speaking of the God of peace. And I want to read for us as we begin today just one of the passages, and I'll get to the others throughout uh, the sermon as a whole. So this is the word of God from Romans 15.33, the first one that you have listed there on page 6 under your New Testament readings. The word of God, may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let me pray for us. God of peace, would you be with us? We pray that we, gathered together as your people in your name, that our hearts, 
set apart by the work of your Son, the indwelling of your Holy Spirit, would be filled with you, the God of peace. Minister to us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as we begin, embark considering uh, peace this morning, it's important for us to begin our journey in exactly the right place. And the right place, if you look at these verses, the right place to begin a consideration, a discussion of peace is with God himself before, before we talk about peace itself, it is good and important and right for us to source peace. Where does the idea come from? Where does peace come from? Because peace is not some kind of a free-floating ideal that's out in the universe. It's not just a concept. It's, it's not a state of being. It's not merely a disposition. Peace is not just an idea that is out there somewhere to which we aspire. We aspire to be a person of peace, a people of peace. Instead, peace is part of the very being of God. It's part of who he is. He is the author of peace. He is peace. And, and if we want to think about it this way, he is at peace within himself. Peace is part of his being, and therefore, uh, if we want to think about this in Old Testament terms, Gideon, when he builds his altar as God has called him into service, builds the altar to Yahweh Shalom, to the God of peace. This is the, this is the altar to the God who is the author of peace, the God who is in possession of peace. And of course, these benedictions that we've got before us today speak of either the God of peace or the Lord of peace. Now, there's a verse to which we will turn several times over the next couple of weeks uh, because it's an essential and central verse when you're thinking about peace. I don't have it in the bulletin anywhere this morning, but it's from John 14. And in this passage, Jesus says to his disciples, my peace I leave with you. Now, we'll get to the rest of it in just a moment. In fact, all I want to focus on for the point of what I'm trying to articulate right now are the first two words, my peace. It's not just peace in general. It's not just peace that is out there somewhere. Jesus is in possession of peace. It belongs to him. It's part of his essence. It's part of his quality of being. To say it another way, peace is an attribute of God. Now, for those, I just prayed for those who are studying at Westminster, it's probably not in the list of the attributes of God that we typically think of. But nevertheless, that is what it is. It is an attribute of God's being. It is part of his character, a way of describing who he is. And, and when we finished uh, earlier that Micah passage that we were reading together, we finished with the words, 
not that he, the good shepherd, would give peace to his people, but instead we read that this good shepherd that will come out of Bethlehem, and he shall be their peace. It's part of who God is. Peace is not, uh, it's not independent. It's not disconnected. Peace is personal. Peace is personal. It's part of the personhood of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and let me just show you how this is reflected in the next passage that's there in your, your bulletin. This 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 passage helps us to distinguish just a little bit between two aspects of this. Second uh, Thessalonians, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way the Lord be with you all. You, you see the differentiation that is meant, made there between two things. One, the peace that he gives, that's a peace that we often think of, the peace that is left, the peace that is given to us, but the source of that peace is in fact the Lord of peace. There's a difference between those two things. They, they go together, of course, but there's a distinction between the Lord of peace and the peace that is given by him. On the front of your bulletins is a quote from uh, Philippians chapter 4. And that quote from Philippians chapter 4, as it comes to a close, says that if you think about these things, if you practice these things, the God of peace will be with you. In verse 7, which is not printed on the front of your bulletin, if you will recall it, that is the one where in prayer, Paul says and promises that we will receive the peace of God which passes all understanding. See, see the inversion of the two phrases there. One can speak of the God of peace and one can speak of the peace of God, the peace that he gives. And what we're trying to consider today in particular, not, uh, not in complete isolation because they're not isolated completely, but in particular is the idea of the God of peace being with us. And so again, peace is personal. I, uh, I am not a bumper sticker kind of guy. Uh, I don't wear faith on a bumper sticker. I do have a Maryland uh, crab on the back of my car, but, uh, but I, I generally don't do bumper stickers and I don't do t-shirts that proclaim the faith. But having said that, there is something to that old bumper sticker. I don't know if this still shows up or not, but you remember the one that said, uh, no Jesus, no peace, no Jesus, no peace. And of course, the, you can put it in either order, but I think the typical order was N-O, N-O, no Jesus, no peace, or K-N-O-W, K-N-O-W, no Jesus, no peace. There's, there's something to that idea. A, a healthy spirituality, or, or even we might say it this way, a, a, an appropriate way of celebrating Christmas seeks not merely peace, not merely uh, calm and quiet, not merely a state of equilibrium, not, not just peaceful surroundings, but it seeks the God of peace himself. It, it seeks after the Lord of peace, the Prince of peace, the King of peace. A healthy spirituality seeks after the Spirit of peace, 
who then gives us peace. That, he, does, he does that, but we seek after him in the first place. Now, maybe, maybe this idea that I'm trying to convey here will be helpful to see this in Scripture in another way. Uh, perhaps you recall the golden calf incident in Israel's history, and God is in the process of judging the people for the sin of creating and worshiping and everything else that went along with it, this golden calf, uh, when Moses then intercedes on behalf of the people and says, God, please don't destroy this people. God relents concerning the anger which he was enacting against his people. And God says to Moses, okay, I'm not going to destroy everyone. Instead, I'm going to take you up into the land that I had promised to give you, but I'm not going. Okay? When you get there, I'm not going to remain with you because, frankly, remaining with you is not an easy thing for me to do as a holy God. If I remain with you, I may, in fact, destroy you because you're stubborn. You're a stiff-necked people. You go against the commandments that I've made. And Moses hears that and once again intercedes on behalf of the people of God and, and of himself as well. And he says, listen, God, if if you will not go with us, if, if you're going to give us a land, however nice it is, however full of riches and blessings and, and, and milk and honey it may be, if you're going to give us that but you're not going, don't send us there. That's not a good place for us to be as your people because what is land without God and his presence? And, and you could say the same thing and think the same way about peace. What is peace without the God of peace? What is it? It is what I was saying before. It's some detached, some, some odd kind of idea that's floating out there that seems like a good thing, but it's illusory. It's ephemeral. It's not something of substance if you divorce it from the God of peace. I'll say it again. Peace is personal. And spirituality not only pursues peace, and it will do that, we'll look at that in two weeks. Not only does spirituality pursue peace, but in particular, and first, and in the first place, the first priority, it pursues the God of peace and looks for the God of peace to provide that which he has promised. And if we need any more confirmation of this notion that peace is something that is intimate, something that is personal, we find it, of course, in the incarnation. To establish this peace on earth, the Son takes on flesh and dwells among us the Prince of Peace, establishing the reign of peace by giving his people peace, my peace, his peace, that he gives to us, incarnate, in order to bring that peace. Neither prophets nor angelic heralds proclaiming peace, however wonderful that may be, to have prophets and to have angels saying peace on earth with men, to men with whom God is well pleased. However great that is, 
it in and of himself, or those things, prophecies and heralds in and of themselves, are not enough to effect peace, to bring that which they are promising. Instead, we need the author, the possessor, the embodiment of peace, and thus the benedictions that are listed there in your bulletin this morning make the order, the priority clear to us. May the God of peace be with you. And whatever all the great saints that have been throughout history have said about the manifold blessings of God and the wonder of the gifts that God gives to us, and he does give to us extraordinary gifts. He gives to us peace and love and joy and hope and contentment. But whatever other things we might add to that extraordinary list, all of the saints throughout the ages testify that the greatest treasure is not that gift. That the greatest treasure is, in fact, the God of peace, the God of love, the God of those things that have been given to us. And thus David perhaps says it as well or better than anyone, the nearness of God is my good. That's my good. Not just the, the good that God gives, not just the peace that God gives, it is the nearness of God that is my good. Once we establish that, once we establish that that is the, the, the peace, the God of peace is the goal, the highest end for us, then we can look at these verses and how they continue and consider together what else is promised in connection with the God of peace. This phrase that's used here in these passages that I've printed, God of peace, Lord of peace, is not a phrase that is used all the time. It's used repeatedly, as we see here, but it's not used all the time. And certain things in these verses are connected to the presence of the God of peace. So when the God of peace is with us, personalized peace in the person of God, in the person of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is with us, what happens when that God of peace is with us? Now, let's note that. All right. The, the first thing that happens when the God of peace is with us is seen clearly, and it's the one you would completely expect in the verse that I already read for us from 2 Thessalonians. When the God of peace is with you, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. When the God of peace is with us, the God of peace gives peace. Now, we're going to talk more about this next week, so I don't want to uh, get into it in depth today except to simply note what Paul is saying here, there's something unique about this peace that God gives in that it is a peace that transcends circumstances, whatever they might be, at all times, in every way. Now, if I said, imagine, visualize for a moment what peace looks like for you, how, how do you imagine peace in your life or peace in the world, I don't know what it would include. But maybe, maybe peace would include a hammock. Uh, maybe it would include a beach chair and your toes in the sand and the warm sun down on your body or somebody else that might be a, a mountainside view. Maybe peace would include those things and who would want to discount them? I don't, I don't want to discount them at all. 
But the idea that is being conveyed here is that peace transcends those so that peace can be in a lot of other places as well. The peace that God is giving is the kind of peace that could travel with you to a hospital bed. It can travel with you to hospice. It's a peace that can travel with us when we're experiencing deep tensions in our families, when, when we're struggling with finances, when we're struggling with how do I get a job or how do I face this upcoming procedure that's going on, medically speaking. That's what Paul's pe- talking about here. When the God of peace is with you, that's the kind of peace that he distributes, uh, uh, one that co- covers all circumstances. We'll pick this up more next week. But secondly, secondly, what else happens when the God of peace is with us? In the first place, he gives us peace. In the second place, when the God of peace is with us, the God of peace sanctifies us. He makes us holy. Listen to these verses, the next two sets there, 1 Thess 5 and uh, Hebrews 13. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, or the Hebrews 13 passage. Now, may the God of peace, and I'm going to skip down, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. The the God of peace, you recognize those passages, of course, because I frequently end services with those particular benedictions. But when the God of peace is with us, his presence is transformational. It's, It's personally transformative. Because a sinner can't be at peace in the presence of the holy God without transformation taking place, without being changed, without being made holy, without being made righteous. To quote scripture, Isaiah chapter 48, there's no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. There's no peace for the wicked, and there's no peace for wickedness expressed in the presence of the God of peace. You know this experientially. When you have found yourself to be in the midst of sin, do you find peace at that moment? Do you find everything's good? Of course not. Of course not. Because because righteousness and peace go together. When the God of peace is with you, you desire, you want to grow in holiness. You want to express that. Uh, Psalm 85 puts it this way. It it, it gives us the image of righteousness and peace kissing each other. You can't have one without the other. They kiss each other. They belong together. I was directed to uh, this passage from Isaiah 32 in an article I was reading. Uh, And in Isaiah chapter 32, Amongst the other things, we've got the the Spirit of God being poured out in the days to come. And then I'm going to pick it up at verse 16. When the Spirit of God is poured out, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field, and the effect of righteousness will be peace. Let me say it again. The effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, 
quietness, and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and quiet resting places. Righteousness and peace together. The result of righteousness will be peace for the people of God. This is how uh, the New Testament puts it in Romans chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. You see the way the two things are wedded together. The, the presence of the God of peace, it, it sanctifies us, it changes us, it empowers us, equips us, makes us desire righteousness. The, the presence of the God of peace being with us says, I, I want to grow. I want to change. I want to be more like the one who is with us. And the result of that is the increase of peace, the increase of our perception of peace, our enjoyment of peace, our practice of peace. You know, have you, have you ever been in a situation, maybe on a sports team, where your best player wasn't there? You know, it's, it's getting to be game time, and your best player hasn't shown up yet, or, you know, whatever. You're, you're in a meeting at work, and the person who's key to the presentation or key to the job hasn't shown up yet, and you know the restlessness that is there. But when that person shows, at exactly that moment, things change. Okay, we're going to be all right. Everybody gets better because of the presence of that person who's key. That's a human level. But when Jesus enters into the picture, when he enters into, as we'll see next, into the arena, we go, okay, all right, the Prince of Peace is here, things are going to be better. All right, so, so very simply then, when the God of peace is with us, he gives peace, and secondly, when he is with us, he sanctifies us, he changes us, he makes us holy. Third, we find in Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It's an interesting phraseology there. The God of peace will soon crush the one who is there. And you kind of look at that and go, okay, that's, that, that's a little bit of an odd way to say it. But what Paul is saying is, listen, this God of peace is going to establish security. That's what Rex highlighted in chapter 4 of Micah, pardon me, in verse 4 of Micah 5 earlier. The saints will dwell securely. The saints will dwell securely because the Prince of Peace is in the process of crushing the head of Satan. Now, if we were writing this, perhaps we would want to substitute. Perhaps we might want to say, Paul, wouldn't it be better to write, uh, the Lord Almighty will soon crush Satan under your feet? Under your feet? 
or perhaps uh, uh, the, the, the Lord of hosts will soon crush Satan under your feet. But that's not what Paul says. Instead, he says the God of peace will soon crush. Peace will not be the result of a negotiated settlement. God will not sit down with Satan and with the wicked and say, let's talk things out. Let's work it out and let's make an agreement where you'll be over there and do your thing and we were here and we'll do our thing and everything will be okay and everybody will get along and we will live in peace. Jesus isn't just going to be nice and embrace pacifism as it relates to wickedness. When paradise has been lost to an enemy, when shalom has been shattered by an enemy, restoration requires the crushing of that enemy. There is one who is for war who is out there. And he cannot be pacified. He must be crushed. He has to be crushed for peace to reign. And so peace requires a sword, and the Prince of Peace has one. The Prince of Peace has a sword. And when he returns, he will finally wield that sword against the wicked one and against the wicked. He defeated him on the cross, and while he was on the cross, his own sword at that moment was sheathed. And he let it be sheathed and remain there. But when he will returns, he will unsheathe it. He will take it out of the scabbard and wield it against his enemies and crush and defeat them. The battle began when the virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, gave birth to a son. It began at that moment. Micah is quoted by the enemies of God who are seeking to kill him by the sword. That's who, who quotes Micah. Let me find out. Let me use the word against the word is what takes place there. And remember when Simeon gets the young baby Jesus in his arms, he says, now I can depart in peace. I can now depart in peace because I have seen this one who has come, this light of revelation to the Gentiles. Praise God. But just so you know, he is going to divide the peoples. This one, this one who is appointed for the falling and the rising of many in Israel. He comes in, the Prince of Peace, but the moment he arrives, people are after him with the sword and seeking to put him to death. Peace isn't cheap and peace isn't passive. When the angels heralded peace on earth, they sang of the coming of the Prince of Peace. They weren't proclaiming warm feelings. They weren't proclaiming sweet thoughts. They weren't saying, decorate your sanctuaries with poinsettias and candles and Christmas trees. Now, I like candles and poinsettias and Christmas trees, personally. At 5.30 this morning, 
seven candles were lit in my house. And I find them to be very peaceful. It's not the God of peace. It's not the God of peace who is at work. The one who will be and crush the head of Satan. Who knows? Maybe outside of Bethlehem, while the shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks by night, it was a very peaceful night. Maybe it was a silent night. Maybe it was a quiet and calm evening. Nothing going on. The sheep are fine. There's no wolves. Everything's good. It didn't stay that way. When the angels come, that peaceful, that silent night is interrupted. It's changed. It's a loud night. It's a raucous night when the angels come and call us to go to Bethlehem to see the one who has been born, the Prince of Peace to herald the beginning of his reign, the beginning of the reign of the king of Shalom. So seek first the king. Seek the king first, and his gifts will be yours. He is our peace. And so may the God, may the Lord of peace be with you all. Lord, be with us. Uh, we pray that we would not be distracted, not be distracted from looking towards you. And we pray that you would be with us and with our children and with our children's children for a thousand generations until you return and crush the head of the evil one. Until that day, may we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, let's.